Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Good morning, happy Monday, welcome to lockdown week two if you're in England, hope you're well wherever you are in the world and welcome to another week of Football Social Daily, all the latest Premier League news every single day in podcast form. We are the only podcast doing this seven days a week, so click subscribe now and we'll keep you in the loop with all the latest. I'm Jim Salverson, on the pod today we've got Niall McCorn, hello Niall. Hello boys. Very cheery, and we've got Marley Anderson as well, you're right Marley. Oh, nearly got my name wrong there. Hello, guys. <laughs> it's only Classic. been two years. It's, you know what, it's, not even, it's not even the earliest in any podcast that Jim's made a cock up as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm going to try and keep a clean sheet now. Today on the podcast, we're you chatting... You can't, you've already conceded. <laughs> Today on the podcast, we're chatting England, who went down 2-0 to an impressive Belgium side last night, conceding almost as early as I did on today's podcast. That ends their <laughs> chances of reaching the Nations League final, but did Gareth Southgate get it wrong? And do we care? Plus, it's the international break, which means the newspaper rumour mill has fired into action. New forward line replacements for Manchester City on the back pages of the papers, along with the perennial international break story about Paul Pogba being unhappy at Manchester United. So we'll get into that shortly as well. Plus, Crystal Palace, they're under the spotlight today in Floodlight Focus. Gavin Hamilton, former editor of World Soccer and Crystal Palace fan, going to be chatting to us a little bit later and we'll get his view on the Euros too because international football is 100% his bag. But first, well last week I asked for reviews and this week we've got some reviews boys. We've got loads in so I'm going to knock off a couple now. We'll do a few more later in the week. So if you want to get your reviews in you can let us know what you think of the podcast wherever you listen. We'll give you a shout out on the pod a little bit later in the week first one comes from everton fan in stepney green who says loving the pod lads my name is john and your podcast has really got me through lockdown one and lockdown 2.0 which i prefer to call lockdown 2.0 the second comings but he's just gone for the simple title there he says i listen every day without fail whilst running or cooking or searching for cvs on online job boards and linkedin he's a financial recruitment consultant in london great footballing insight bants and rants so he's doing really well until the last bit of the podcast where he says marley and steve are my faves oh yes <laughs> what's going on this is the two most Almost. northern people on the podcast uh, i've got a fan in <laughs> someone in the financial district of london i love it although his his kind of his, his apple id suggests he's from manchester so oh good man so that's okay um and the second podcast i want the uh, second review i want to mention as well is from i uh, from alan who says love the show guys but i've got a bit of a bugbear so he's got a complaint. He's given us a four-star review. And there's a way we can get this to a five-star review if we listen to his advice. He says, you're not the is only people that do gym? this. <laughs> it is not. He says, give Jim a pay rise. In- no, he says, you're, the only, you're not the only people that do this, but Portuguese people don't do the silent J like Spaniards do. Jose even says it on the Amazon documentary. It's 
Jose with a soft J like the G in Rogue, not Jose like a garden hose. Other than that, keep up the good work. So can we all practice, please, saying <laughs> Jose? Is the, is, the, is the Portuguese Jose? That's how we're going to say it properly. Can we have a go, please, Niall? Yeah, Jose Mourinho. <laughs> no, Jose. Three, down to Jose. a three star. It is Jose. Back up to a five. Marley, would you like a crack at that one? Uh, Jose. Very good. So there you go. Five star review from Alan. That's go how I'm going to do it now. Like, I'm going to have a northern accent and then when it comes to Jose, I'm just going to go, Jose. <laughs> like someone overpronunciating just for the laugh. <laughs> right, well, you can tell it's the international break because we're talking about anything other than actual football, but I guess we should talk about England versus Belgium. It was 2-0 to Belgium last night. A very good Belgium team as well, we have to say. Gareth Southgate went with what's being described as a 4-3-3 by some areas, but I prefer to look at it as a 5-2-2-1, I guess, more realistically in terms of the amount of defensive players that are on the pitch. Did he get it right, Niall? Was that a good call from Southgate to play ultra-defensive against the Belgians? Um, Maybe initially, when you look at the talent that Belgium have got on the pitch, uh, you know, Lukaku, De Bruyne, uh, Mounier, um, Mertens, the players like that that Belgium have got, um, you know, you have to consider perhaps stem in the tide but the bottom line is if England lost they wouldn't have been able to qualify for the Nations League finals so Mm. it was a brave call from Southgate to be honest and I think you know as the old cliche goes the proof is in the pudding and the pudding was that albeit through a couple of deflections and uh, a bit of quality England were 2-0 down in double quick time and I think when you do go two goals behind early doors in a game maybe the system can be pinpointed as the reason as to why things weren't quite going to plan I mean, regardless of um, the system that Gareth Southgate played, there's always a one at the start of every system, and that one is the goalkeeper. Um, (laughs) And we've spoken about Jordan Pickford so many times on the podcast, both from an Everton perspective and an England viewpoint. I think Jordan Pickford was at fault for the first Belgium goal yesterday. I really do. Yeah, absolutely. Because, again, he's trying this playing out from the back style, and and he passes the ball into the most ridiculous area in midfield, which makes it really difficult for... I can't remember which England player it was now who was coming to try and receive the ball. He was under touch-tight pressure from the Belgian man. Mm. And then the ball ended up skewing out to a Belgian player. And yes, Tielemon's shot took a deflection off Mings and Pickford just got his fingertips to it and hit the post and it went in. There couldn't have been any more he could have done trying to save the shot, but he could have prevented the opportunity. Um, Sometimes you've got to maybe think about when's the right time to smash the ball long, Um, even though England strikers, I thought yesterday, I mean, I just didn't think that they really had anything to feed off yesterday. It just felt so disconnected and disjointed and maybe that's down to the system. Um, It's easy to point blame, uh, you know, in terms of who's at fault for the goals. I thought Pickford could have done better for the first goal with his clearance. I, I wouldn't blame him completely because there was another few seconds of action before the ball actually ended up in the back of his net but certainly the second one um a great free kick from belgium i mean you just gotta hold your hands up and say belgium are a very very good side they've got some top top players there's a reason they're the number one ranked side in the world every player you look at you think is is a is an established name whether it be in the premier league if it's not there then it's one of europe's top five leagues so certainly they've got a very very good squad um but i just felt that england didn't do themselves justice and Southgate's getting a lot of stick and there's been stats being thrown around on social media for instance I think England have scored one goal from open play in the last five games um, which is not what you'd expect from a from a team which is trying to play in the blueprint that Southgate's trying to play so in terms of systems I'm not a football manager and I'll be honest I'm not the biggest England fan I mean I'm obviously an, an Englishman and I'll support the national team during big tournaments but the Nations League hasn't exactly captivated my um, my imagination the game against Ireland uh, the other night was boring, even though England comfortably won. It wasn't much of a contest. And, you know, I don't even really think that we should be playing international friendlies anyway, like I said on the podcast earlier last week. Um, and so, yeah, to be fair, I mean, I'm not really one to, to study and analyse England formations. I, I don't really care about the national team, to be honest, until it gets to mm. a major tournament. I think the 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 you know the bottom line is we need to qualify for tournaments we've done that we're in the euros hopefully we'll be in the next world cup as well you'd like to think so with the quality that we've got and i think as long as that is achieved then who really cares about the nations league to be honest i think blaming pickford for i think you give away the ball it just happens occasionally if you're playing particularly the style of football that we want to play that playing out for the back you're gonna put the ball into areas where maybe the opposition turn that possession over so blaming pickford on this occasion and i like to blame pickford for most things but blaming him on this occasion 
feels a little bit harsh. I guess what I'd say about the formation, Marley, is it was just it was it felt a little bit uninspiring when I saw the lineup last night and I saw, like I say, what I think was essentially seven defensive players and a front three which lacked any kind of real pace. I couldn't see how that England team were going to score against that Belgium team. And yeah, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but it just didn't look to be an exciting England lineup, particularly when you consider what came before against the Republic of Ireland. Yeah, I think uh, you've, yeah, you've probably got a point there. I think, you know, Sterling not being in the squad was a little bit of a, a blow. I think he's got a slight injury. Um, and I think he's, uh, I don't even know if he's going to play against Iceland. It's pointless pointless in playing against Iceland now, so he's probably just going to head back to Man City. But that's probably a little bit of a blow. And then when you take out Sancho as well, you take out the... Um, the excitement from the from the front three, I think Grealish has has got a lot, but I mean he was practically the only support to Kane. I don't think Mount got involved in the game enough, um, and with Rice and Henderson behind them, it, they're kind of they're not sort of progressive passes. They're, they're kind of a bit safe and a bit sort of you know slightly more defensive than than what you need. So I think looking at the lineups, I wasn't exactly uh, thrilled by. You know our prospects of, of beating Belgium. Um, you've got to be on your best game to beat a, a side as good as Belgium at the best of times. So playing them without Sterling and with with Sancho on the bench and things like that, you know, it, it never sort of. I never had much hope in the game. Um, and obviously we were two 0 down within twenty five minutes. But my biggest thing with with Southgate is is you know he's, he's insistent on playing this this back three slash back five system. And I'm not I'm not against that sort of per se but what I am against is if you are going to play with a back three you know play players that are comfortable in a back three I mean Kyle Walker plays right-sided centre-back for England pretty much all the time now at his position for England Kyle Walker will play probably 50 times in all competitions for Man City not a single one of them will be at right-sided centre-back so if you're going to insist on playing a back three play players that play there like if you're going to pick three centre-backs pick three centre-backs don't pick two centre-backs and then a right-back who's slotting in and only plays there on international duty it's I don't think Kyle Walker's you know um ever had a, an amazing game at right-sided centre-back I think he played there in the World Cup a little bit but he was the weak link mm. at the back and it's not his fault he's a fantastic right-back and it, you know England have got 385 good right-backs that could fill up 24 European teams themselves because they've you know, <laughs> got so much depth there and I understand that you want to get him in the squad but you know play square pegs in square holes don't try and try and sort of squash them in or oh, well, we need to play Walker because he's you know his experience and everything like that well use his experience at right back there does seem to be a trend of playing fullbacks in when you're playing a back three of having one of those back three as a fullback though there's a few teams trying to that doing that at the moment aren't they I don't know why I guess maybe it kind of means that player can drop in as a midfielder yeah Arsenal do it United did it against PSG in the Champions League yeah but I mean, I mean even the Arsenal, even the, um, the Man United thing it's a one-off in it it's hmm. they, they don't play that every week it's like a system to to, to sort out a specific problem of, of PSG but I think with you know with England you've, you've already got Trippier um, you know, and he's playing wing back. He doesn't play wing back for um, for Atletico. He plays in a, a solid back four, as uh, as he always does. And then you look around the team. I think, you know, there's not that many players um, that play in that system um, for their clubs. So you, all of a sudden, you 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 know, you're going on ten days training, and then playing the best team in the world with a system that probably eight or nine of your starting eleven aren't used to playing. And you can you can drill that as much as you like in training, but when you put, you know, the likes of De Bruyne, Lukaku, Tielemans, Hazard, all these, all these players that can see holes in any system and are good enough to to exploit them, you're asking a a hell of a lot from a team that is already not at full strength, in my opinion. So, I think maybe we need to find a, a formation that gets the best out of what we've got and even frees up Grealish a little bit more. And I think he was still brilliant last night in terms of the English players' performance, but still. I think you can still get more of him um, playing a system that suits him a little bit better. Grealish is a really interesting one because I think, in my opinion, he's kind of played his way into a regular starting point for England now because he's one of those players, he's the kind of player that fans love to watch. He's got that ability to inject a little bit of magic to get a little bit of a spark going in midfield. But as you say, Marley, the formation doesn't really suit him. And if England are going to play this 3-4-3-5, 
three, whatever it is, formation. That front three, particularly if you've got Kane as the kind of focal point of that, those two extra players, they need to be players with pace. And probably that doesn't necessarily suit Grealish's game. So how does Southgate play this, Niall? Does he go, well, Grealish is the man in form. He needs to feature for England going form. Or does he go, well, the, the system I want to play, we need Sancho and Sterling to provide that pace. It's a bit of a headache, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And it's something he's going to have to address. And to me, this is kind of a throwback to the Svenja and Eriksson days where he had so many good midfield players that he ended up playing someone like Paul Scholes out on the left wing. And, you know, that was kind of back in the 4-4-2 days where if you didn't play 4-4-2, then what were you doing? That was the real fashionable formation back then around the sort of turn of the century and then heading into that 2002 World Cup and uh, the few years following that. And, you know, we've seen it before where the talent of Paul Scholes and Gerrard and Lampard and Beckham and the like were not utilised on the international stage by the manager we had at the time, who was Svenja and Eriksson. Now, I'm not saying that Gareth Southgate's going to do that and kind of waste away these players' talents, but I think he does have a bit of an embarrassment of riches at the moment in terms of the midfield and forward line for, for England, which makes me wonder why he picks so many defenders in the squad. It's almost like he doesn't know his best defence, but in terms of that attacking conundrum, I think you have to play three up front. You have to play Kane through the middle. You have to pick Sancho. You have to pick Sterling. Those three are absolutely crucial. Um, I, I just think that you cannot go into a major tournament without that being your front three. I mean, how fearsome is that? Sterling on the left, Sancho on the right, and Harry Kane through the middle. That's enough to scare any defence in any competition, whether that so be then club. So there's room for Grealish? Well, of course there's room for Grealish because, you know, you've got, you've got to think that in the in the middle uh, of of that, sort of if you're thinking behind those front three you could play Grealish in a 10 position uh, and sort of play a front four like a diamond front four which we've seen some teams do in recent times um, but then you've got the holding midfielders as well I mean it is a conundrum and we could go through the whole team like that um, but I think you know those three players I think at the moment Sancho, Sterling and Kane uh, are the most important in the team and then it's Grealish and um, we obviously know how much Gareth Southgate loves Mason Mount um, but Jack Grealish is a, is a top player and he's an exciting player. And I think at this moment in time, he's the best English midfielder in terms of form right now. So, yeah, he absolutely is justifying his inclusion. And as you say, he's, he's played his way into the England team and he's earned his right to stay there because he played well again yesterday against Belgium. But, you know, sometimes you look at things and you think, well, there are too many. It's like a game of FIFA. Right. So when me and my brother used to play against each other on FIFA, he'd spend at least five minutes going through the reserves of the team not just pressing start the game with the starting 11 that was on he'd go through the reserves and he'd look and he'd find all the best rated players and he'd put them in the team you know and sometimes you've got the best rated players in the wrong positions and it's just like it feels like sometimes that that's what's happening with England where we've got players who play certain systems with their clubs and you can't translate that to the way that Gareth Southgate wants to play now it's up to him to pick the players that suit the system that he wants to use but because of the way that football is and we've got 20 teams in the Premier League where players are always always playing well at different times of the season and you know people pick up form at different stages you know, people were calling for Danny Ings and Dominic Calvert-Lewin a, a couple of weeks ago. Well, Everton have started losing games and Danny Ings is injured. So, I mean, mm. Harry Kane is the only one really now through the middle for England. Jamie Vardy's retired. So, I mean, now it looks thin up front for England. So, you know, that's the way that being an international uh, manager crumbles. It's the way it goes. You know, you just have to kind of make the decisions at the right time. Now, it's difficult because... Grealish and Southgate will only have a certain amount of time to work together during an international break, a couple of weeks. They're only ever a couple of weeks. And then, of course, we're going into next summer where it's Euro 2021. So if there is going to be a plan to get Grealish in this side and kind of build the system around him, then it needs to start now because they're going to run out of time otherwise, certainly to play in a way that is effective enough to, to take England deep into the tournament. So It feels like we've been talking about this since the World Cup, though, doesn't it? We have been. We absolutely have been. And you can even take it back to what Marley was saying about Kyle Walker. You know, Kyle Walker played the World Cup and then he was out of the team for like two years. He's only recently come back into the England squad. And I think people seem to forget that. Southgate was not fancying him at all. People mm. saying that his England career was over. Now all of a sudden he's had a good season for City. He's played a couple of games at right centre half and he's back in the fray. And so that's the way the international football scene works. It's part of the reason why I don't like it because it's so difficult to get it right. Um, but I think England have got good enough players to do good things and it's up to the manager now to put that into place. 
Niall's nailed his colours to the mast. He doesn't care about international football at the moment. I struggle to be interested. I think I spent most of the first half of last night's game looking at my phone rather than the actual TV screen. And I still don't, even though I work in the sport, I don't really understand what the Nations League means and what happens if you get to the final. I don't really get it. So, Marley, you can complete the hat-trick. Do you care? Are you interested? Are you bothered we lost to Belgium and now can't get to the Nations League final? Uh, not, not massively, no. Um, I think... I think there's two problems with the Nations League and I think one is nobody knows whether they care about it because it doesn't have any history. <laughs> it's it's hard to launch something new that everyone cares about and takes seriously because, you know, the World Cup is the World Cup. It's been going since 1930. Um, the European Championships are, you know, a continental um, thing and it's, it's basically a miniature World Cup at the end of a, a season and everyone works towards it and the, everything builds up to that. But it links into the other problem that the Nations League got and uh, has, and it's like international football is something that happens at the end of the season. Like that's the pinnacle of it. So you go away to a World Cup, you make the squad, blah blah blah, um, and you try and do your best against you know the world's best or Europe's best or South America's best, wherever you're from. But the the issue with with the Nations League is it's a league and it has to run concurrently with um, with domestic leagues around the world so it's hard to get up and get motivated and and hold it in the same regard when you go in there three or four times a season because it's it doesn't have the same pull it doesn't have the same um standing in the game because you know if you don't make this squad you might make the next one you haven't got a set squad that you have to rely on like you do with the world cup because everyone's working you know you see guys moving out on loan trying to get a, a full season in so they can make the world cup squad it's not quite the same with the, with the Nations League, and it it never will be because it's um it's it's a league, and it, it's you know it's two weeks here and there, and it's even the finals. I mean, what four teams get to the finals? The other thirty teams do nothing in the in the summer. You know what I mean? It's it's a bit. Mm. I I I like it because it gets rid of the friendlies. However, I still think more most of the games are treated as friendlies because of what I've just said. Because there's other chances. To, uh, to win games if you lose mm. to Belgium the first time it doesn't really matter you can beat them the second time you can have another go at them in two or three months time and obviously England have, have fudged that twice now because they've lost both games but mm. still the, the opportunity was there to have a gun twice and reach the finals anyway and that's what that's what it is with the league you don't really have the same sort of um, siege mentality kind of thing of, of we've got to beat these or, or we're out it's, it's not really the same in the league system What do you think boys about you know, in rugby where they've got the six nations and this won't work in football just because, as Marley says, the schedule's just ridiculous. What do you think about like the six nations in rugby union where every autumn it's the same teams that have a tournament and it's almost like their version of the Euros and they've got the World Cup every four years. But the six nations or it might even be eight teams, I think, now that Georgia have been accepted into it. Um they have this round robin tournament where they all play against each other and it's a league system much like the nations league and then when whoever finishes top gets the trophy and you know the six nations has got like uh, you know this whole kind of fanfare around it and it's an exciting competition if you're a rugby fan and if you win all of your games or you go all unbeaten in all of your games you win the grand slam which is like an even sort of bigger thing to to get excited about so i don't know whether you think jim that would work or not but certainly they've managed to find a way for international sport to be the pinnacle in other games i don't think it ever will be in football just purely because no, our league system's it. so strong but you know could we look at rugby union and the six nations and think well maybe we could do something similar to that i think that's it i think the focus in football isn't international football and there's been so much emphasis put on club football and being put on the premier league over the last few years that that has become the be all and end all and that's been partly driven by the fans and it's been partly driven by the players seemingly putting international football below club football and we look back at the likes of Ryan Giggs who never used to appear for Wales unless it was an important game he kind of had mystery injuries every other international break so I think it's been a long time coming and I don't think you can fix it by just introducing a new league format and if you look at the Republic of Ireland game for example that was a home friendly essentially wasn't it it was a game that should have big rivalry but nobody was really bothered to that about that even if it's a friendly so i i just think it's it's we, we've got the tournaments that people care about and it's partly as marley says it's to do with the history of having the euros and the world cup they've been here a long time and people have built up 
a respect for those tournaments and they've got those emotional connections because of what's come before. And I don't think you can do it by necessarily throwing in a new tournament to the mix. I think the mm. Nations League's actually gone some way to repair it. I think it is probably more yeah. interesting than the, just the qualifying or the international friendlies that we had endlessly before. But I think it's an uphill struggle. I just think it's an interesting concept because you talk about, you know, the history of competition and stuff like that. And I totally agree that, you know, some competitions with bigger prestige, the World Cup, the Euros mean so much more because they come around once every four years and also because of the history behind them. But even some of the competitions we've got domestically and around Europe, like the League Cup, that's completely fallen out of favour now. I mean, it doesn't have any real credibility compared to what it did 10 years ago where winning mm. the Carabao Cup or the League Cup was a big thing now it's just like oh it's always City win it or you're playing your reserves and then the same with the Europa League like it's oh it's not the Champions League does anyone really care and you're tra- traveling to Kazakhstan on a Thursday and there's 15 groups with four teams in and it's just like it feels like we've kind of got this throwaway attitude in football at the moment particularly in England where we don't really care about some of the cup competitions it's either you know your balls in or balls out it's champions league and premier league and maybe fa cup or you know we're not bothered about the cup competitions it's too so much football though isn't it i mean the 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 is that the reason though i, I mean think i think like you know you, you, you listen to some supporters speak and you know man city fans a lot of them i speak to love the carabao cup you know mm. it's a chance to go to wembley and watch your team win yeah, a trophy win it. But, yeah. but i mean but why can't other teams win it and take it seriously like it's a great opportunity and, you know, mm. like especially you're talking to supporters of clubs like, Jim, you'd love to trip to Wembley with West Ham and mm. watch them lift a trophy, whether it's League Cup or not. So I just find this throwaway attitude to certain stuff quite interesting. I mean, no, I'm not that bothered about England losing to Belgium. Portsmouth are playing tonight. I'd be more pissed off if they lose to Plymouth tonight than I would England losing yesterday because I think I'm club over country and a lot of people are. I just think this throwaway attitude to, to some of the competitions, it doesn't really matter anyway. I don't know whether that's a British mentality or just a football mentality that's developed, but you know I don't want to lose any game of any team that I support. I don't care what competition it is. It's never nice to lose. Winning is you know the enjoyable part of of the game, in my opinion. So, so yeah, I don't know. I just think it's interesting that you kind of don't really apply the same mindset to the England team as you do with your club team. I think we need to put a pin in this conversation before we go down a wormhole <laughs> because <laughs> I think it's a massive conversation for another part. So we're going to leave England there and we're going to turn our attention to the back pages of the papers because it's the international break. There's loads of decent, juicy gossip to get our teeth into and we're going to do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. International break always means a few bits of juicy gossip from the newspapers around Europe. So we've got three of the most juiciest of stories to get our teeth into over the next few minutes and see if there's any truth in these at all or whether it's just your typical clickbait. Uh, as always with the international break, and I know you love a Paul Pogba story, Marley. So we'll stick. We'll kick off with Paul Pogba. Uh, he's been speaking apparently to RTL. This has been translated via Goal, and he's moaning again about his lack of opportunity at Manchester United. He said it's the most difficult spell of his career due to concerns over his playing time at Old Trafford. Another international break. Another Paul Pogba story. If we're going to take this on face value as Paul Pogba genuinely moaning about his game time at Old Trafford, is there anyone to blame for that that isn't Paul Pogba? Well, I think the best thing about this story is um, is on Friday when we were chatting in the group, um, our, our little work group about what's coming up in that day and things like that. And we were talking about what to talk about on Friday's, um, Friday's podcast and you wrote the message... <laughs> At one twenty six on Friday, <laughs> few hours for Paul Pogba to say something silly, <laughs> and it took like it took a little bit longer, but it it came as as sure as night follows day. Paul Pogba has been talking something about uh, about his club situation and it's how much he you know France is a breath of fresh air and and all the rest of it, and it's. Um, it's nothing new, is it? It's you know I think it has been taken slightly out of context, um, apparently, but still the message is is there. I mean you know don't say it at all if you if you're hundred percent happy. Don't don't even mention the comparison between club and country because everyone who knows who knows football knows that um, you know you things aren't hundred um, percent cosy at, at Man United right now and 
you know, there's always been questions over Pogba's future ever since he got there in in 2016. I think there's always been the, the debate about whether he's um, whether he was worth the money, whether he was um, should it, whether he can just not do it in England, whether he's you know his work rate, his attitude, his his off the pitch stuff, and some of mm. it's unjust and some of it's perfectly uh, legitimate questions. But you know. <laughs> He doesn't help himself. That's my that's my issue with with Pogba. It's not hard to stay quiet, and uh, you know if you, if you don't do that interview, as you you know you balls up every time. Every time you go to France, it's it's every time. I mean, we we talked about this a month ago. Like as soon as his feet touch French soil, he's like, right, let's where's Le Keep? That's it. Let's go and talk to them. Let's let's put another thing in the uh, in the media that that can come back to to hurt me, and it's. It's just one of them. He just doesn't help himself. It's it's very immature, and I don't know whether he's playing a bigger game because eventually he wants to leave and go to to Real Madrid or to back to Juventus, maybe. But you know, it's it's, it's having it's you know treating Man United like mugs, I think. And um, you know, even if he was taken out of context, I still think there's an issue there. So it's not as if you know it's completely fabricated this thing. It's um it's there, and it's just you know it's it's something Man United have got to deal with again. I mean. When you look at how he's played for Manchester United this season on the occasions he has played, it's not like he's been absolutely terrible. But Manchester United have other midfield options now. They've bought in Bruno Fernandes. They've got Donny van der Beek on the bench who's not getting game time. So, again, if, if Paul Pogba is... If he has an issue with the amount of game time he's playing, surely his job is to shut up, knuckle down in training, prove himself to the manager and get on the pitch. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, you look at Bruno Fernandes and the impact that he's had since he's come into Manchester United and you can't begrudge Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for picking Bruno Fernandes over Paul Pogba. I don't think there's a reason they Mm. can't play together. But, you know, Fred and McTominay, the two players that are playing well at the moment, screen in the back four in the 4-2-3-1 formation that Solskjaer likes to use. And also you've got van der Beek, who is a new signing, who's come in and is yet to really hit the ground running and be given an opportunity himself. I think the key here with this Paul Pogba thing is... Marley mentions it a lot when we talk about Pogba and the international break. Like what you say, when he, you know, his feet touches French soil, he says something. First of all, Manchester United need to request that he stops doing interviews because it's getting ridiculous now. Because it is genuinely, every time the international break pops up, there's a Paul Pogba story. And it's like a meme. Honestly, it's like a meme. If you're listening to this podcast, next time there's an international break, look out for the Paul Pogba story. Because there will be one. You know, we joke <laughs> about it on the show, but it's true. Go back, which is through... part, which isn't all his fault, is it? Though? It isn't all his fault because he, and... it, it, it sells papers. It sells yeah, I get copy. it. I get it. But also, Marley's mentioned this before on the podcast: the translation of articles from someone's native tongue to our tongue, English. Obviously, Pogba's a Frenchman. The translation isn't always literate in the sense that sometimes expressions you make in another language don't translate particularly well or read particularly well in English. You know, they might sound offensive or they might sound abrasive or harsh. And I think that is the point here. Paul Pogba said some things in French in his native tongue. We don't speak French. I personally don't. So I don't know the inflections in his voice, what he's trying to say, the point that he's Mm. trying to get across, the body language. I haven't seen the interview. All I've seen is a translated transcription of the interview written down on paper. And I think that's a really dangerous thing to get into because by all accounts, from what I've noticed, what Paul Pogba was saying actually in his native tongue... French wasn't really a slight on Manchester United at all. It was like, I need to play better with the opportunities that I've been given. I had an injury last season. I've struggled to come back from it, got coronavirus, and my opportunities have been limited. I'd like to play more games because who wouldn't? He's a footballer. I don't think Paul Pogba said anything out of turn here. I just think this is classic international break spin. People trying to sell papers, as you say, Jim. People trying to get clicks. We see it in the media all the time. And anything with Paul Pogba in the headline, people are going to click on. People are looking for a reason Mm. as to why Manchester United are in 14th place in the Premier League table. Paul Pogba isn't that reason. Paul Pogba is not the reason Manchester United are playing poorly this season. If anything, Paul Pogba can help Manchester United improve this season. So I think that the slack that Paul Pogba gets is fair enough in terms of his performances on the pitch. He's not been playing well enough in the opportunities that he's been given. And I think in this interview, in French, he admits that. And he says he's finding it difficult because the opportunities he's had have been limited. But when he's taken those opportunities, he's not performed to the best of his ability. 
And I think that that is the key in all of this. And, you know, you can talk about whether Paul Pogba should stay or Paul Pogba should go. He's a top-class player. Even at 65%, he's a very, very good midfield player. And a lot of other teams in the Premier League would die to have someone like Paul Pogba in their side. Maybe not for the, the fanfare that comes with him and all the trouble that he brings, so to speak. But certainly for his ability and his quality, he's a top midfield player. And when he's on it, no doubt he's one of the best midfield players in the world. But I think the issue is... With this translation from French to English, sometimes you can see things that aren't actually there. And I think this is one of those cases. Now, no doubt in previous international breaks, Paul Pogba has put his foot in his mouth. Absolutely 100% with what he said. I think you can translate it five times and Google Translate back and forth and it would still sound bad. <laughs> but certainly this time, I don't think that's the case. I think Paul Pogba needs to be cut a little bit of slack here. The opportunities he's been given at Manchester United have been few and far between this season. But when he's had those opportunities, he's not taken them properly. And that's up to him. And I think that's what he's saying. And he knows that. And I'm sure that people will say he'll be out of Manchester United in the summer. Well, if he is, good luck to him because he's a top player and it's not worked out for him the way that things would have wanted to at Manchester United. But for the time being, he's still a player at Manchester United. He could have gone in the summer, didn't. And when he gets a chance to play, he needs to prove that he's still a top quality player because he's not been able to do that at the moment. That's the frustration, I think, uh, from him. And I don't think that this article is a fair reflection of his actual attitude in Manchester United right now. I think it's hard to argue with any of that, Niall. So let's move to the other side of Manchester. And there's a lot of transfer talk where it comes to Manchester City. Two stories to look at. The first in 90 minutes, who are saying that Manchester City are eyeing a striker. That's their priority for 2021. One eye on Borussia Dortmund's Erling Braut Haaland, who they were after, supposedly after, when he moved to Dortmund in the first place. The other eye on Inter Milan's Argentine striker Loreto Martinez. They're the two top targets. Everyone's been saying that City need to look for a striker for about three seasons now, for about three windows, Marley. Are either of them the right choices if they are going to part with a load of cash for a new person to bang in the goals? Uh, It certainly looks between them two, doesn't it? Um, I think if you look around Europe, I think Lataro Martinez is probably the closest person to Aguero with time on his side um, available. I think, you know, he, he's he's buyable from, from Inter. I think they'd sell him for the right price. It's not like he's an invaluable asset to them. Um, even though he's an important player for them, it's, they'd still let him go for a good price. Um, the only thing I would say is I don't think he's, he's prolific enough. Um, he hasn't got that. I mean, Aguero had a hell of a scoring rate when he came out of Atletico Madrid. I'm not sure Lautaro's got that um, similar... Uh, prolific uh, strike rate um, for me Erling Haaland does um, and the one thing as well I like about Haaland is he's, he's absolutely massive so if you do get desperate in games and you are chasing it and you, you're putting crosses in there's someone there at 6 foot 4 to head them in um, so for me I think there's only one there's only one player I'd go for if I was Man City and had a you know, a, a big um, lump of money to go and spend on someone and it'd be Erling Haaland and he could easily be Man City striker for the next 10 years I think he's what is he 19 now so I mean you could get 12 or 13 years out of the kid he's got his he's got his um, his heritage he's, you know his dad played for the club and everything like that I think he was in Manchester for a lot um, a lot of his childhood as well so I think that's it's an absolute tap in for me I think if you've got the money you just go and go and get him you can't argue with his record you can't argue with his skills um and as you know, Dortmund will always sell their best players to get the next crop of of talented youth players that you'll probably go on and and seed around Europe for the next uh, you know five, six, seven years kind of thing. So for me, between them two, just go and get Haaland and and be done with it. Have City dropped the ball on this one then, now? Because if they are going to get Haaland, why didn't they get him six months ago and he went to Dortmund? Because he would have saved them fifty million quid. Now he's going to cost them a load more money. But would that have been the right move for? Well, the player, I guess, because would he have had the game time at Manchester City, but the club as well, because the player would be so much further back in his development. But I don't know, it's difficult, isn't it? Because surely could they have bought him in and loaned him out or something along those lines as well? Yeah, I see what you're saying, but I think he made the right choice. I really do. I think Erling Haaland made the right choice to go to Borussia Dortmund. As we've seen, Dortmund have shown faith in young players. You just need to look at Jude Bellingham, who's recently signed, Jaden Sancho. I mean, if you look at those two examples, and we always use those two as examples because they're great examples, Haaland was going to get games at Borussia Dortmund as just a 19-year-old or whatever he was when he signed. Whereas at Manchester City, 
I mean, could they really guarantee him game time ahead of Aguero and even Jesus, who's got Premier League experience? Would Erling Haaland's sort of mystique have been intensified had he gone straight from uh, RB Salzburg to Manchester City? Because think about the way he hit the ground running at Borussia Dortmund. He was straight in the team, scored a bag full of goals on his first few appearances. And that kind of increased the mystique, as I say, around the player um, and the kind of hype around him. Now, I don't know if he would have got off to that hot start at Manchester City. Obviously, we're purely speculating. We have no idea um, what would have happened. He might have scored no. the same amount of goals. He might have scored none. He might have had 10 games. He might have had no games. We just don't know. But personally, I think if I was taking a, an educated guess... I think that he's made the right choice by going to Dortmund because I feel that he would have been given greater opportunities there in the Bundesliga um, than he would have done in the Premier League. No doubt he will end up at Manchester City. I'm convinced he will end up at Manchester City. Now, whether that's in five years or one year, he'll end up at Manchester City. I'm, I'm absolutely certain of that. Just from a personal opinion perspective, I don't have any inside information or anything like that. But obviously the links with his father, uh, the connections with Manchester City that have been there um, beforehand in the press and... You know, City are no mugs. They they know how good this guy is. They know absolutely how good he is. Um, but whether he comes when he's 25, because he's only 20. And I think Aguero joined Manchester City when he was 24 and he was banging in goals for Atletico Madrid. Erling Haaland's four years away from that still. And that's mm. a frightening thought, how good he is and how good he could be. Um and obviously, it depends on Dortmund's form. If you know, we've seen Dortmund kind of peak and trough in the Bundesliga over the years. Klopp had them peaking when he was the manager there, and then after he left, they kind of dipped a little bit, and then they've kind of come back to the top again to compete with Bayern Munich. Um, whether we'll see the same thing happen uh, with Dortmund this time around uh, and Hurland up front, then we don't know. But you know, I certainly don't think City have dropped the ball on this. I certainly don't. I think that. Injury-wise, they've been very, very unlucky at Manchester City. I think he will end up there. I think it would, for me, at this moment in time, be more likely to be Martinez, like you say, the Inter Milan striker. I think it would be more likely to be him. Um, but we've seen City sign strikers in the past that have kind of operated for one or two seasons, uh, done a job and left. Um, you know, I can think of a couple off the top of my head I won't go into now, but certainly I, I don't think they've dropped the ball, as you say, Jim. I, I do think Haaland will end up at Manchester City, whether it's this summer or in five years, I think he'll go there. Um, but obviously the conundrum is to solve the Aguero issue and Marley's absolutely right. I think Martinez, in terms of the numbers he's posted and, and the style that he plays in up front for Inter Milan, working together with Lukaku, which seems a good partnership that they forged there at, at Inter, I do think that he's the kind of the natural silhouette for Aguero at this moment in time. Uh, yeah, Marley put it really nicely by saying it's the closest they got to Aguero in terms of characteristics right now. And yeah, very high praise for Martinez. Haaland's got a lot more to offer, but I don't think he'll be at City just yet. In terms of other City transfer news, there's a story in the star today so we're not going to pay too much attention to it in terms of how much factual accuracy is there it, is to I stuffed three cream eggs up my bum <laughs> and my head exploded oh you've read it <laughs> um, you sold it to him uh, no it's uh, so Manchester City apparently according to the star are contemplating spending 100 million pounds on two players from Aston Villa one Jack Grealish and obviously um, he is the the player in trend at the moment Douglas Lewis as well is the other player apparently they're interested in who City sold to Aston Villa last year but apparently they've got a buyback clause in place there like I say I'm not entirely sure I'm convinced on either of these potential incomings and whether they're actual players that City are looking at but what I do wonder about and this goes hand in hand with the conversation about the Aguero replacement as well I wonder whether City's recruitment policy at the moment is a little bit all over the place because when Pep Guardiola first came into the club and for the seasons preceding that as well there seemed to be a very focused and very effective way to bring players in and I'm not sure you could say the same now I'm not sure that they have the same success rate in terms of the players they've bought in maybe I'm reading this wrong completely or they don't seem to have the same uh, like focus or structure in terms of going we need this player to be play in this position Am I reading too much into that, or does it feel like City don't necessarily have that part of their club management nailed down at the moment, Marley? Uh, I'm I'm trying to work out what you've just said. To be honest, <laughs> I've said, I've said <laughs> a lot of things. Went around the houses <laughs> to the Etihad and back with that one. Jesus, 
<laughs> um, I'm kind of. I mean, I, I'm saying, does City need to refocus their, their transfer policy if they are looking at players like Douglas Louise and Jack Grealish, like a player they let go and another player that doesn't really fit into their system? Are they doing it right? That was like when you write an essay at uni and you just waffle on for a bit to try and fill the word count. <laughs> Jim's just done the, the exact dictionary same. definition of transfer. <laughs> is. Um, I, I don't know. To be honest, I, I, I don't see the link with Grealish. Um, for example, um, from from what you said, um, I think with with Man City, their their style of, of transfers, you know, when you when you refer to Douglas Louise um, in particular, I think you know with the way they do business, they they go around Europe and they find guys that don't necessarily have work permits and and send them out on loan, and, and sometimes you have to sell them. I think you know if you look around the Spanish league, Man City have got loanies everywhere. At, Granada and um, and places like that, and eventually, you know, some of them make the grade, some of them don't. Um, some of them you, you you tend to just cash in on the likes of um, there was a right back Pedro Porro, I think he's at um, I think he's at Granada now. Um, but they they cash in on him in the summer. Douglas Luiz was a couple of years ago. Um, I think Douglas Luiz is one of the most underrated players in the Premier League. Um, if I'm honest, he's in the Brazil national team. That's how I don't think people realize that the level he's at um he's getting he's getting regular games for brazil alongside you know everybody expect you know neymar and all the rest of them and so that link with him especially when fernandinho leaves i think that's always going to be there um because they probably have done the right business and, and got a little um a little clause back to buy him back but yeah mm. Are they focused? I, I still think they're doing they're doing enough. I think the problem always is with Man City's um, recruitment is they're always going to get priced out of absolutely bloody everything as soon as they come knocking. You know the Man City tax goes on; it's an extra sixty percent on top of your value. So there is going to be frustrations, and you are going to have to have a lot of targets if that's the case. I mean, we've seen it in the summer as well. With you know they were linked with um, with Cooler Valley for a long time, and then it shifted to Kounde, and then. Out of nowhere, they signed Ruben Diaz, and it was almost like you have to have um, two smoke screens before you actually go for the guy you want because the Ruben Diaz deal came out of nowhere and it was done um, quickly, even though he'd been linked previously. Not he wasn't linked at the time, and then it was like right, we signed Ruben Diaz. You all thought we were signing Kounde, and everyone was watching him in the UEFA Super Cup final and thinking this guy's great, and then all of a sudden they signed Diaz, and it was. That's kind of the games they've got to play in the transfer market because everyone knows what they're doing when the press get hold of it and the, the price goes up. So you have to be a bit more creative, I think, if you're, if you're working for Man City on a transfer uh, level. And a lot of time you've got to meet release fees and things like that and have clauses that you can back on, uh, back yourself on because if you're negotiating, people are going to absolutely fleece you because they know you've got the money. So it's, it's, it's as simple as that. So for me, I think City have got to... They're doing they're doing the best they can. I don't think there's a board uh, around the world that I'd rather have in charge. I think they've got everything. I think they've still got the head screwed on in terms of what they'll pay and what they won't pay. I don't think they get um, drawn into paying too much too often. I think um, there is big fees, but they are tend tending to be justifiable. You look at seventy million for Rodri, and you think, well, if he's if he's in the team for the next eight years, then it's a decent um it's a decent outlay kind of thing but it's um it's one of them for me i think they 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 do what they can they do what they have to do in the transfer market i don't think it's you can say they they're scattering things around because that's the situation that that they um have to sort of mix in i think also as well jim it's the players that were available at the time and marley uses fernandinho as a good example i think they've known that they've needed to replace him for a while and they wanted other players before eventually settling on Rodri. And they weren't, and I don't think Pep Guardiola is, content to settle for just a body in the squad. You know, the kind of the old saying as a manager is every time you go into the transfer window, you're looking to improve the squad. And I know of a certain manager who I used to speak to who used to say, you know, the worst two players in the squad or the, the least effective two players in the squad, you want to kind of improve those two. And you want to kind of gradually do that as the transfer windows roll on. If you can kind of increase the quality of the squad, then that's that's the way you progress the club forward. And I think Manchester City, you know, have looked at players in which they, they've tried to get. I know that there's been midfielders that they were looking to 
come in uh, and sign as a replacement for Fernandinho. But Fernandinho kept performing and rightly earned himself a couple of new contracts in that time frame. Um, and Rodri's come in, and you know, I think as well in that in that scenario, you look at players who could fit the mould and City aren't prepared to pay over the odds, as Marley says. They're not prepared to do that. They're not prepared to pay more than they think is worth for a certain player. Um, And if it means that they have to wait an extra season, they've been prepared to do that. And I think that we've seen that kind of come to light in the last couple of seasons with the way that they've slightly tailed off in terms of results and form. Um, and, And although that's an admirable strategy from the board... Does it kind of work effectively, um, regularly? I don't know. Uh, it's certainly one to kind of to, to think about. Some people might suggest that it does, but if you look at recent form, you might think, well, maybe they would have been better spending that little bit more and getting the player in that they wanted straight away. Um, but I think the Fernandinho thing, I can't think of all the names off the top of my head, but there was at least three or four midfield players who they wanted to replace Fernandinho, or at least come in and kind of act as a as a second defensive midfielder to Fernandinho. And they never got them, and eventually they settled on Rodri. And I think that this is a similar thing with with the centre-backs. They knew that they needed to replace company. They didn't do it that summer. They they bowed their time. They waited. Laporte got an unfortunate injury. Now they've brought in Diaz. They've brought in Ake. Uh, and they've sort of hand-picked the players that they wanted. And I think Pep Guardiola is very meticulous like that. And I think that... As Marley says, the board will back him. They have utmost faith in Guardiola to pick the right players. And I think Guardiola knows exactly the sort of characters he needs to improve that Manchester City side. And I think if he sees Jack Grealish as a potential improvement to that Manchester City side, then and I personally think he will do, then he'll sign him uh, um, if it's the right money. Uh, if it's too much, then he won't sign him. Um, 100 million for Louise um, and Grealish. I think that's a good deal. I really do think that's a very, very good deal. As Marley says, they've probably got a buyback in uh, Douglas Louise's contract at Aston Villa. But just imagine Grealish and Foden operating mm. together in the City midfield for the next five, ten years. I mean, how exciting a prospect is that? Martinez up front, Haaland up front perhaps for Manchester City now that Aguero's kind of waning a little bit. I mean, what an exciting time that would be. Um, it will take a few years to get back up to the standard that Manchester City fans expect, particularly with Liverpool still performing. But certainly, I don't think that Manchester City are, are worried too much just yet. I think they know what they're doing. A frightening prospect for other Premier League teams. The oh, really yeah, terrifying thing, though, is the f- most frightening prospect is that the transfer window opens in just over 40 days for the January transfer window. How scary is that? Uh, We'll leave the transfer chat there, though, and we're going to talk about Crystal Palace instead because they are under the spotlight in Floodlight Focus. We'll do that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily and we're going to wrap up with our Floodlight Focus feature which today is looking at the world of Crystal Palace and we're joined by Gavin Hamilton, former editor of World Soccer, Crystal Palace fan and soon to have his own podcast on European football coming soon ahead of the Euros. How you doing Gavin, you okay? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, Yeah, I'm not too bad, Tar. Now, we're going to focus on Crystal Palace first. We might chat a little bit about the Euros towards the end of our conversation. But one of the things, whenever we do these floodlight focus sections and we talk to Crystal Palace fans, we end up talking about the long-term future of the club, the ambition of the football club. And everyone we speak to seems to have a little bit of a different view as to what that ambition is and to where the club's going. So in your opinion, right now, what is the five-year plan, the ten-year plan, whatever at Crystal Palace? Oh, who knows? I mean, that, the problem is we've been sort of treading water for so long, just because I mean we've been in the Premier League what seven years now, back and back there, and and every year has been about survival, and we haven't <laughs> moved on from that yet. You know, it's it's and um it's been going on like that for so long, and I think it's also a question of ambition because you know we're. I don't know where we are in the, we're in the table at the moment. We're mid-table. We, you know, we'll finish the season in mid-table. We might be 13th. You know, we might have a good season, finish 12th. We might have a poor season, finish 14th or 15th. But that's the sort of level of ambition mm. that we're at. Um, and, it, and it's very hard to see a way of, of breaking out of that. Um, and yeah, and, and, and I'm, I almost think I'd, I'd, I'd love a cup run. I'd love to win the FA Cup. And I'd almost, I'd almost give up the premiership status to do that. You know, if it meant that, I'd rather take an FA Cup win than um, 
than than stay in the Premier League because I don't in twenty years time I don't want to be sitting with my you know my grandchildren on my lap and saying to them well you know I, I want I want to be able to say <laughs> I was there when we won the FA Cup I don't want to be there and say remember that season when we finished thirteenth wasn't that a great season <laughs> the season when we finished twelfth um, but not as good as the season you know and and, and it, it, I don't want it to be like that I want us to have something and to be able to say we won something and it's very hard now in the Premier League to to break out of that that mid table I love that. I love that, by the way, Gavin, because being a Portsmouth fan, we won the FA Cup in 2008 and we've never been seen since. (laughs) Um, But I wouldn't trade that day for anything. It's the best day of my football in life. And I still hear a lot of Palace fans say that when you got to the final in 2016, that was sort of the greatest modern moment of supporting Crystal Palace. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because... Do you think that now in this strange of se- strangest of seasons that we've seen so far that there is as good a chance as any of getting to a cup final? I hope so. I mean, I, th- I think a lot of it depends on the manager. Um, and, you know, it's, it's no surprise that we, we got to the final in 2016 with Pardew. It's one of those sort of guys who, you know, who could see the sort of the potential of a cup final win, if only for his own ego trip um, and, and prepared to play sort of quite attacking football to get there. Whereas, you know, Hodgson is the the arch pragmatist and he's brilliant in that in that sense and he's been brilliant for Palace and perfect for Palace um, but you know he, he's going to put Premiership survival ahead of ahead of a cut run unfortunately um, but I'd love us to do it I'd love us to have a go at it. It's interesting that you say you didn't know where you were in the league at the moment because you're actually doing all right this season you're eighth in the league you're two points off Chelsea yeah. and Chelsea are still being considered title contenders <clears> at this point so do you feel like there has been any development this season has there been a change that see senior play slightly better or is it just same old same old no hopefully it's different i mean Eze is is the 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 player that everyone's talking about Mm. because he's you know he's he's come in and um he he played brilliant against leeds um the last game you know scored that free kick um fantastic free kick um was was you know was a real trouble for leeds and um he's great from set pieces as well. He's actually delivering some, you know, we, we, we score from a corner, um, which we haven't done for years, um, thanks to Ezzy's corner. So he, he's been a real, um, a, a real game changer, I think, in many ways, um, not just because um, of what he's done on the pitch already, although, and Hodgson hasn't given him that many opportunities yet, but he's, it's, it's a change in transfer policy as well, because for years we've been, we've had a pretty solid transfer policy, but very, very conservative transfer policy of buying, you know, established Premier League players, um, but paying over the odds for the likes of Benteke and Sacco and, you know, Kabai. Mm. Kabai came from PSG, but he played his best football at Newcastle. You know, we've brought in Tompkins mm. and Kuyate, and they've all been really solid performers, but they've been on massive wages. Uh, and, we've, we, you know, we've, we've got a huge wage bill that we've got to bring down. Um, and we've also got the oldest the oldest squad in the Premier League, average age. So that's got to come down as well. So this summer was a was a real change in transfer policy. I think we're bringing Eze in. We something we should have done a lot earlier and actually start picking up talent from the Championship. Um, so so that's I think that's that's been a real game changer. And hopefully Eze will come in and, and, and make a difference this season. Is there any kind of indication that Eze could be the man that's been brought in to kind of step into the <laughs> shoes of Wolf Sahar? Because I, mean, I was looking, I was looking at the stats for Crystal Palace before we had this call, and I was amazed. I mean, we all know Wolf Sahar is so important to Crystal Palace, yeah. but then you look at the goals you've scored this season, and they've they've pretty much all come through him, either in terms of assists or in terms of him actually scoring those goals. So it's difficult yeah. to see how Palace can move forward if he. I mean, he's rumored to leave every single window, isn't he? But if he does eventually yeah. move forward, it's going to be a hell of a job to replace him. Yeah, I mean that's that's been the problem that we have to, we've got to move on from it at some point, and it is. I'm not not being rude, but it's it, people are getting bored of talking about Will yeah. um, because it's the same every 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 few months and every transfer window. Um, and and but we have to move on at some point and 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 have a sort of post Will era. Eze is a different type of player in the sense that he's you know Hodgson's playing him in a different role. He's playing him in left midfield. I think he'd have a heart attack if you played him in the centre midfield, which is where he'd be. I think he'd be most influential but mm. you know Hodgson trying to play him in this sort of quite disciplined role on the left side of midfield and allowing Wilf to, to sort of roam around in attack um, and have that free role in attack so they're different types of players um, but they're they're also from the same mould and it says we love a we love a, an entertainer particularly a homegrown entertainer going back you know many years to you know the likes of Peter Taylor and Vince Hilaire and John Silarco we love a we love a, a, a winger uh, an entertainer so he's in that mould and he's a local boy 
Um, and he's taken the number, I don't know if you know, he's taken the number 25 shirt. So he's Eze 25, as in Essie 25. Um, and that was a deliberate choice for me. So that, <laughs> so that, that's gone down well with people. Um, and, that's and brilliant. He's, already, he's a popular figure. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. So he's, he's Essie 25. Um, and um, yeah, he, he's he's got a lot of potential and people are very excited about him. And hopefully that'll take a little bit of pressure off Wilf. As long as Hodgson can manage, you know, as they transition into the team, and there's always this worry with with Hodgson that he'll, yeah, you know, he he won't get the best of a a player who yeah you know, he might consider a bit of a maverick. So he's got to be managed sort of carefully, and hopefully we get the best from him. It's always exciting when young players come in, isn't it? To be fair, uh, but my question was more about what you mentioned earlier regarding the kind of average age of the squad, and we mentioned last season that it was the oldest average age squad in the Premier League, as you've just said. In the press this morning, I've seen that Patrick Van Arnholt is kind of reluctant to sign a new contract at Crystal Palace, and he's been a useful player at Selhurst Park the last few seasons. And the reports are that Marcos Alonso from Chelsea uh, is of interest to Palace to come in. Uh, you know, and Marcos Alonso is over the age of 30, and Van Arnholt yeah. is 29. Yeah. Um, although we've seen a reasonable shift in, in the transfer policy, like you say, with the young players like Eze and Ferguson coming into the club, yeah. uh, you still can't help but feel that Palace kind of have this in in them that especially at the back they're looking to kind of solidify with those more experienced players so let's just say you lose Van Arnholt how big of a blow will that be for you at the back where you've had loads of injuries the last couple of years well I think we've actually got quite a few options at fullback now for the first time I mean I'm not convinced that I mean I don't think Hodgson's that convinced about Van Arnholt um, I mean he's a great player going forward and he, and he you know he scores some great goals but now we've got Eze in, mid, in that left side of midfield um, Shook Jeffrey Schluck plays that that role as well along that side, um, but we've got Ferguson as you said, the kid from from West Brom. He's not played yet because he's been injured, mm. but so he arrived with an injury um, and, and hasn't played yet. But he's he's quite an exciting player at fullback, um, and um, we've got other options at fullback as as well. So for the first time, there's competition in that in those roles. And Van Arnholt, one of the problems we've had is that he pretty, had pretty much a free reign at left back um, and and wasn't didn't have that competition. Um, and, and maybe wasn't performing. I think Hodgson certainly felt his defensive side of things wasn't up to scratch. So he's had a bit of a kick up the backside with the, the kid coming in, Tyreek Mitchell, you know, left back when, when Van mm. Arnold was injured. So there's a bit more competition on the flanks now, and um, and, that, and that's good. Um, yeah, as far as the average age, though, I mean, <laughs> Marcus Alonso wouldn't be the ideal choice. <laughs> I mean, I think there may be a little bit of agent talk there, I think, um, that Chelsea are trying to shift him or the agent's trying to shift him. Um, but you know we've got a lot of younger, younger players at fullback now, so I don't I don't think that's um, that's a possibility. Although you know Gary Cahill came in and and, and mm. yeah he's injured at the moment, but he did a brilliant job. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're not we're not you know averse to you know the odd free transfer of a, an an older defender. Um, we, we've got to have a few of them in there. I quite enjoying that every player you mentioned, you just afterwards have to say, well he's injured at the moment. It just feels <laughs> like it feels like that's been the story for Palace yeah. for a while. To be fair. Yeah, it is. Although it's um, it, I mean, we've we played and um, we've had yeah, we've got all these great centre backs and they're all injured. I mean, Tompkins seems to be permanently injured, um, and Kuyato's played at centre back, um, and he's been brilliant at centre back, I have to say. And, and uh, but Hodgson did have this does seem to have this rule where he has to have three defensive midfielders in every lineup, um, and he can't seem to get over that. Um, so playing Kuyato at centre back has actually meant he can still have his three defensive midfielders in the lineup, but we get a bit more creativity in midfield. So it sort of worked out okay. Before we let you go, Gavin, we want to talk about the Euros, Euro 2020, which is obviously happening in 2021, bizarrely. But we yeah. now know who's going to be there and who's going to miss out. When you look at the teams that are going to be competing, I got two questions, I guess. One, who is the favourites for the Euros, in your opinion? And two, are there any dark horses in the mix that we should be keeping an eye out for? Yeah, it's, it's a strange one because it's 24 teams again. So there's there's quite a few strange names in there. North Macedonia qualified last week um, because of this new um, format with the Nations League. Mm. Um, so there's going to be some new names in there. Um, it's, the, it's the usual suspects, really. I mean, I think Spain looked good under Luis Enrique. Slightly different style. They're not as ticky-tacky as, as, as they used to be. Um, a bit more direct. Um, uh, they're looking good. Um, France are looking good. And they beat Portugal last week. Um, and and in Portugal uh, look good as well. I mean, they they lost to to France in Lisbon, but they've got loads of good players coming through. Um, not just Yao Felix, the, the the kid at Atletico Madrid, but um, Diogo Jota and, and lots of others. So um, so so they look good. Um, Germany are in a little bit of a, a state at the moment. Can't really sort their defence out. 
um, and Italy have got a lot of changes, but you'd expect them to be in the mix as well. Um, dark horses, um, Ukraine look good, um, strangely, under Shevchenko. Um, they've, they've come good um, and they've, uh, they're in quite a reasonable group, um, so they should get out of their group. Um, and I think they might be worth a, a bit of a punt. Um, Belgium did mention, um, you know, played really well against England yesterday. Um, so they, they will be there as well. Although, you know, you think there are going to be a few teams where a year or so down the line, mm. um, they might be in a better better state than or, or worse state. And Belgium are, are probably one of those teams who probably been better last played in the summer rather than 2021. Um, and it's always the risk that, you know, players like um, uh, Hazard, Real Madrid and, um, and, and others playing for the big Champions League clubs could pick up injuries. Um, between now and next summer, and I think it's also going to be a case that you know we've seen all these injuries already this season because of the you know the way that the calendar has been compressed, uh, and it could be the case that the sort of the, you know the last men standing are the ones who get to get to the Euros and they might be in the best position. So there's going to be a few injuries and you know, players being ruled out between now and next summer. Gavin, well, we look forward to hearing more of your intel about the Euros. Hopefully, early next year when the podcast comes out, if people want to find the latest on that and the latest from you they can find you on twitter at gavin hamilton ed is the at to follow there gavin cheers for your time on football social daily yeah thanks chaps thanks a lot cheers gavin nice one well that is it for football social daily make sure you click subscribe we've got a brand new podcast coming to you tomorrow with all the latest news from the premier league Niall, thank you cheers guys top man marley cheers lads and don't forget to find us on the interweb www.sports-social sport no that's wrong hang on <laughs> never <laughs> say that again you deserve that for what? saying interweb interweb or the www it's like I feel the need to say www all, every time like nobody knows all how to the use w's, the internet like a bingo yeah, caller w, the w's a w then another www.sports-social.co.uk loads of good football content on there we'll see you tomorrow cheers Jim Partridge <laughs> Football Social Daily from Sports Social Find us on Twitter at The Sport Social. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.